0: Hi, welcome to Day Message. My name is Daiqing Yuan, pastor of Abilene Bible Church in Abilene, Texas. D-A-Y, day, is my name initial, and daylight has come since Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We are here to share with you the truth of the Bible History and theology, so that you might have eternal life as well as a wise life here and now. God bless. Okay, good morning again. Howdy, (laughs) y'all. Very good. All right. We are continuing our study on um, the basics of our faith, which are called I Christian. Uh, we have spent three weeks on I believe. Uh, I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now we are entering the second theme, which is I confess. Today uh, will, be, will be based on the first half of Psalm 51. And its title is Have Mercy Upon Me, O Lord. If we want to review what we have uh, reached through the last three weeks of study, I believe, what do we believe? It's better summarized in the Apostles' Creed, right? But we made some modifications to make it, you know, making sense to modern mind. Let's read through this. This is what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heavens and the earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only eternal son, Our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the holy catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now when we say amen, we means I believe these things are true. This is truth. Okay? And if we do believe so, then we become Christians. Okay? Now what do Christians do? Now for the theme, I Christian, we, I found these things. I believe, we have done that, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've told that according to the Apostles' Creed. Now the second theme, it will be, I confess. Now we're going to use David as an example uh, through Psalm 51. There are others. I pray, I worship, I fellowship, I give, and I disciple. The importance of being a confessor. The first thing to be honest with God is the confession that he is holy and we are sinners, unworthy of his love, glory, and honor. If we really believe in God, who is almighty, all-knowing, and all-powerful, and uh, all-present, he is the creator of us all. Heaven and earth, our lives, our soul, and our mind, heart, and, you know, and inner thoughts. He knows the deepest of us, and He is ever-present. He is everywhere. Nowhere can we hide from His eyesight. And He is also the judge of us all. And suppose that we are a thief, and we just stole from his, the house of a judge. What does that spell for the thief? Not good, right? (laughs) Because the judge knows and the judge has the right to sentence us to punishment. And there's no way we can hide from him. So the first thing we should do is to be honest with God. To admit that there is a great chasm between the holy God and sinful man, which we are. And we are unworthy of his love, glory, and honor. However, when we admit that we are unworthy, then we become qualified for grace. And that's when God will make us worthy. So the first step of Christian life is to be humble and to admit that we are unworthy. Okay? And remember that Jesus gave us his first sermon on the mount. And what is the, the general outline of his uh, Sermon on the Mount? It's called the Beatitudes, which means really the blessings. There are actually eight blessings. You know, Jesus uh, gave us the Sermon on the Mount on the mount because he is the new Moses, right? Moses gave us the law on a Mount, on Mount Sinai. Jesus gave us a Sermon on the Mount. Moses gave us five books. Jesus gave us five long discourses in the book of Matthew. Jesus, uh, Moses was a great liberator of the Israelites from the nation of Egypt, which enslaved them. Jesus is a great liberator, liberator of Christians who um, belong to the kingdom of sin, which enslaved us. We see the similarity now, right? So that's why Jesus is the new Moses in this dispensation. Actually, in the next seven years of, um, what do you call it? tribulation, he will be the new Joshua. Like Joshua who conquered Canaan in seven years, Jesus, the new Joshua, actually Yeshua is Joshua, uh, he will conquer the world in seven years. <laughs> and he will be the new David in the millennium. And he will be the new Solomon for the Uh, eternal state, future. So, everything about Jesus was foretold in some sense in the Bible. You just need to have a spiritual eye to see it. And the spiritual eye is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, uh, the first blessing of the Beatitudes is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The gate To the kingdom of heaven opens only to those who are humble. It is closed to the proud. (laughs) If you think, I am sinless, I don't need God, then you will have all your reward in this earth. And then that's all you have. However, because you are not perfect in God's sight, where you deserve to be is a separation from the holy God, which means hell. You may be in a better place in hell. Your temperature may be lower than you know, Hitler's. However, it's hell nonetheless. Okay. <laughs> so, blessed are the poor in spirit. We have to first admit that we are poor in spirit. We're not wealthy. We're not rich. We don't actually own and deserve anything of blessing, uh, of glory, and of honor, and of uh, heaven. We Deserved hell. This first thing that we need to start with, okay? Confession is the prerequisite of repentance and the restoration. So that's the importance of being a confessor. In Romania, uh, during the time of communism, they had, they do have n- nominal churches under the communism, and uh, um, however, after the removal of uh, Ceausescu. Um, the church had a revival and the revived church called themselves the confessors the confessing church because they're not the ones who believe that we are saved because of rituals, they believe we are saved because we confess our sins and from that we can enter in the grace of Jesus okay. so it's very important to be a confessor okay. now remember Jesus' parable of the Pharisees and the tax collectors at Jesus' time, who are viewed as the righteous people? The Pharisees. They really tried to be righteous. Okay? To be honest, okay? they are not all bad people. Actually, the only two people that carried Jesus' body off the cross are the two Pharisees. Okay? They are Joseph Arimathea. And who's the one that visited Jesus at night? Uh, Nicodemus. Okay. And they are all also members of the Sanhedrin. And by doing that, they forsook everything they had. Okay, So they are not all bad people. They all try to be good. But they base their life on the wrong theology. Because they mixed up what is being righteous and what is uh, being blessed. Okay. The law was a blessing. Okay. The law actually itself... It, by itself, is not a curse. The law is a blessing to the saved people. When did Israel get the law? Before salvation out of Egypt or after? After. The law was given to the saved people in order that they can live like the people of God. The law is a guidance for life. It's never a directory for salvation people are saved because of God's sovereign election and our response by faith. Which the Israelites did. God gave a promise to uh, Abraham. I will give you a land, a nation, and a blessing. And in the blessing it includes that all nations will be blessed because of one singular seed of Abraham. And Abraham did not see the fulfillment of the land promise. He lived as a sojourner on other people's land. Okay. But at the time of Moses and Joshua, did that promise come true? At least at the time of Joshua, it did come true, right? Moses did see it. He did not enter it. And uh, um, so th- those things did come true because God made a promise. And uh, um, the the law was given to these people because they are saved by God, they used to be slaves of bad masters. Now God says, I have redeemed you. Now I am your master. You are still slaves, but you are free from man. You are slave of God. God being the greatest and the best master. He will never oppress oppress you. He will never, um, um, you know, being bad and mean, however, God's household and God's land have rules. Why I sometimes tell my daughters, if you still live in this house, I still have some say in what you do, right? When you leave, it's your life, okay? But when you live here, I still have some say. I don't want to push for it. I don't want you to feel that you're not loved. But we love you. We're trying to teach you something wise and good for you, okay? And please listen, okay? And so that's our attitude. That's the attitude of God to Israel and to the Christians. Okay. So the law originally, it was a blessing to the saved people. However, uh, the law did give us guidance and definition of what's right and wrong, what's righteous and what's evil. Okay. And later when the uh, Israelite people, they sinned and they, they had to be disciplined. They were t- taken out of the, uh, the land of God because God doesn't want them to be there and desecrate the name of God. Okay? When Israel it was a strategic land. Okay? All nations, east and west, go through that place. If they live a righteous life, all nations will honor the God of Israel. But if they don't, if they're hypocritic, what would nations think? The God of Israel is either not good or impotent. Right? He cannot change his people. So God said, now I have to take you out. And when they come back the Israelite people they, the Jewish, now Jewish people called, because they're mostly from the south they repented in a sense, they have thought that, yeah, we do deserve the punishment, okay, because we sin we violate the law, so how can we be worthy of being restored as God's handmaid you know, God's um, uh, helper of ruling over the nations well, we have to um, try to obey the law. So, how do we obey all the laws? There are lots of them, 613 of them. You know, how do you obey them? Well, you have to build a fence around the law. That's where the so called oral law came from. Okay, the oral laws are the interpretation and application of the written laws. Okay? And the oral law is supposed to be a fence around the law. And if you don't cross the fence, you won't violate the law. And they think, if we do this, then we will be righteous. Then God will, well, think that we are worthy of being restored. God will send his Messiah when we are worthy of him. Well, you see something wrong in there? Okay, there is a self-righteousness that came with it. And that's the problem with these Pharisees. They may be... Good people, they may have good intentions. However, their theology is wrong. They mixed up what is a blessing with what is righteous. Okay. Righteousness is defined by election and faith. Not by obeying the law. Obeying the law is the result of you are already declared righteous and saved. Then you should obey the law. Then you will be blessed. If you disobey the law, you will be disciplined. And the law is... A guidance for knowing the character of God, of what's right and what's wrong. However, obeying the law is never the way to uh, righteousness and salvation, okay, to the relationship. Okay. So that's what they're mixed up. So at the time of Jesus, um, the, the Pharisees were considered the good people. However, you, when you see... The attitude of the Pharisees, you know that, that they have a problem. The Pharisee go to the temple and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The most hated man of all times, even today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithe of all that I get. Even the mints and the, you know whatever you know herbs but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beaten his chest saying god be merciful to me this sinner i tell you jesus said this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The first step of salvation is humility. Is it admission that we are a sinner and we are not worthy of God's kingdom. All we can ask is for God to have mercy on us. The sentence, God be merciful to me, is actually the same sentence in Psalm 51. And let us give you a background of the life of David. Okay. David actually came from a pretty glorious background. He is a descendant of Judah. We know that God chose Abraham to be the father of Israelites, and then through Abraham, Isaac, and Judah came twelve sons of uh, Judah-Israel. I mean, of sorry, sorry, Jacob, Jacob-Israel. Uh, Okay. And uh, thus Israel has 12 tribes. And the first three sons of uh, Israel uh, lost their rights to the firstborn position because of sin. Reuben had adultery with his father's concubine, Bilah, And he did that actually to announce his arrival as a new tribal leader. Because in ancient times, when you uh, become the new king, you take over the harem of your father, uh, all the women except your mother. Okay. He was trying to declare that i 'm the new king you know, but he was a little uh, premature, and he was uh, taken off the list. His next two younger brothers, Lee, uh, Simeon and Levi, they had bad temper and they are um, uncontrollable and because they want to revenge their sister Tamar being raped, they overdid the justice. They killed the whole city of Shechem. And because of that, they lost their right to the firstborn position. And the, these two tribes never had their own land. They were scattered around uh, Israel. Simeon was put within Judah and actually lost his identity. It melted into Judah. And uh, Lev, uh, Levi was... Scattered around the nation in the Levitical cities. You see, the parents' sins do affect the children's lives. And even generations. And now the firstborn, right, actually came to the fourth one, who is Judah. Thus, Judah, from Judah will come future kings. Actually, the Bible prophesied a scepter will never leave his hands. There will always be the children of Judah who sit on the throne of Israel, which really later uh, uh, came to fruit in the Davidic covenant. Uh, and uh, he, J. David was a son of Jesse. He's the youngest of eight brothers. His father was pretty old when he um, had him. Uh, Jesse was probably 70, 80 years old. And he was probably born of a different mother from the other brothers. That's why they didn't like him. And uh, he is called a man after the heart of God. Uh, usually people attribute this as the righteousness of David. And that he seeks after God. He probably did. But that's not what this phrase means. Okay? Uh, a man after the heart of God, it actually means he was a man chosen by the will of God. Not man like Saul. We know that Saul was chosen by the will of man. When Israelites demanded a king, it was at the later time of the Judges period. At that time, there are two branches of Judges. The northern Judges who deal with the threat of Ammonites and the southern Judges who deal with the threats of the Philistines. The northern Judges are civil Judges. The southern Judges are religious Judges. And the last three northern Judges, the Bible recorded nothing good about them. <laughs> Nothing significant. They have never done anything significant. Always recorded about them is how rich they are, that they had thirty sons or forty sons. They had uh, owned the thirty cities, or you know, they have or seventy donkeys or whatever. Now, what it shows is that these people probably did not deserve the office, like the earlier judges who saved the Israelites from foreigners and they were given the office. These judges probably bought the office. With their wealth and influence, and it's a corruption. Corruption. The system is corrupted. And even the southern judges, who are religious people, you know, we have Eli, who is a high priest. We have Samson, who is a Nazarite, and we have um, Samuel, who is both a Nazarite and the Levite, who does a priestly duty. So, even Samuel, who is a righteous man, his sons are not good. They are corrupt. So when Israelite people had no hope, and they had the threat of two nations, Ammon from north and the Philistines from south, they had a national crisis. What do you do when you have situations like that? You seek help from God, right? Which is right for them. They went to a prophet, who is Samuel, say, saying, give us a king. However, what kind of king did they demand? Give us a king like the nations. What do they mean? They want a king who is a warrior, a soldier, you know, uh, probably a brave man, a, uh, and the pre- preferably a tall and handsome man so we can really look up to him. That was the heart of the people. Now what did God say? God said, I don't like what you're saying. Actually, you're rejecting me as your king. But I am going to fulfill your heart. I will give you a king according to your desire. And who did God give to Israel? Saul. Was Saul tall and handsome? He was. Was he a brave soldier? He was. He was not that great of a general, but he did, you know, he was a brave soldier. And uh, he was strong on the outside. However, what about the inside? Did he know where the Man of God, Samuel lives, or was he his servant that knows? He was his servant. Okay. Uh, was he irascible and, uh, and, and uh, absolute, you know, giving dictations, saying, don't eat anything until we finish this war? I mean, that's unwise. When people are hungry and you're fighting, whatever you find, you eat, right? His son Jonathan found something and ate just a little bit of honey, and he almost killed his son Jonathan. He was irrational. uh, When he had a best general, David, what did he do? He became jealous. (laughs) When people say, you know, Saul kills thousands and David kills tens of thousands. What they are saying is Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, the parallelism. Okay? T- thousands and tens of thousands, which really means they, Saul and David kills thousands and tens of thousands. That's that, its meaning. But what did Saul hear? They're saying that he killed more than I do. He became jealous. He's a big man with a little heart. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he, he tried to politically control David by marrying his daughter to him and then but taking her, her away. So. Um, he was finally when the Spirit of God left him, where did he turn to seek guidance? The witch of Endor. You see, where how low he could go. The outside and inside of man can be very different. Man only see the outside, but God sees the inside. That's why God tried to make this contrast. David is a man after the heart of God. He's chosen according to the will of God, who sees the inside. Okay? David was actually passed over. Was he as tall and handsome as his older brothers? No, actually they were tall and handsome, and they were great soldiers. And Samuel always anointed them, and God says, no, 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 pass by, pass by, pass by, pass by. Finally, he said, is there any more? No, there's a little one. He's out there, you know, still with the sheep. Get him. <laughs> so, was he, was he handsome? Actually, he was. And uh, was he smart? He was. You know, he, he was uh, a poet and a musician. Was he brave? Yes, he was a great soldier. And uh, was he a great warrior? He actually killed a lion. You know? So he was almost a perfect man. You know, I think all the girls would like to marry a man like that. <laughs> but, but he's probably not that tall. Okay? And, uh, uh, but he was strong in the inside. That's what God sees. Okay? And this is his life. At about 15, he was anointed by Samuel to be the future king. At about 16, he killed Goliath the giant. At about 17, he became the armor carrier of King Saul. At about 18, he became a general of Israel and married Michael, the daughter of Saul. At about 20, he was persecuted by Saul and fled into the wilderness. So he only married Michael for about two years. And then he began a decade-long uh, fugitive life. Okay. And during that decade, he wrote many Psalms uh, when he was really at his bad time. When you are low, who do you seek to? Who do you, see? you will seek God. Okay. That's why most of his Psalms are very moving and we can identify with him. Usually when we are in a tough times, the first 70 Psalms, mostly written by David, we can really identify with him because he was really seeking God. He was uh, trying to live live righteously, and he knows that he cannot totally, and he puts his hope on God, the good God, who is merciful and faithful, and we can do that. And at about 27, Samuel died, and he, uh, David married Abigail. At 28, he lived among the Philistines for about a year and four months. And then at age 30, Saul died, and David became the king of Judah. Israel actually, at that time, um, already divided into the north and south. Saul was the king, set up the kingdom of Israel, which really occupied the north. The south at that time actually was occupied by the Philistines. How do we know? Well, the Bible says in the hometown Gibeah uh, of Saul, his hometown of Saul, there was a fortress of the Philistines. In the hometown of David in Bethlehem, there was a fortress of the Philistines. A little bit Earlier than them, that was the time of Samson. When Samson was bound and the people asked the Judahites to save them, the Judahites said, The Philistines rule over us. See, why do you build a fortress in a town? That means you occupy that land, right? You see. So the south actually was occupied by the Philistines for about a century until David totally removed it. Okay. So, uh, Israel really occupied the, the, the north, and Saul was the king, kingdom of Israel. He had a land claim to the south, but actually it was occupied by uh, the Philistines. And it was David who led Judah to independence from the Philistines. Okay. And um, David was anointed king at the as, the Jude, as the Judahites, of the Judahites so that he could lead them to independence. That's the desire of the elders of Judah. And at about age 35, Israel set up Ishbosheth as king. After the death of Saul, the north actually wondered about who to set up as the successor of Saul. They have a living, legitimate son of Saul who is called Ishbaal, the man of Baal. <laughs> Ishbosheth is, means man of shame, that's the nickname later. And, uh, but he was a weak man. David was a former son-in-law of Saul. He was a little further from legitimacy, but he was a better man. The, tw- the ten elders of the north probably wondered they could not reach a, position, a solution. Until finally, well, Abner just set up uh, ish as the king. He only ruled for two years before he was killed. And after then, the north reached a conclusion. There's no more, nobody who is more legitimate than David now. So they came and anointed David to be also the king of Israel. So Israel so David became the king of the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. Just like Queen Elizabeth II is the queen of England, Scotland, Wales, and the Northern Ireland. Okay. One person sitting on four thrones. Okay. David was one person sitting on two thrones. It was always a two nation, actually. And uh, at uh, age 38, he conquered Jerusalem. At age 39, he defeated the Philistines, finally earning independence. And at age 40, he took back Michael, welcomed the Ark of God into Jerusalem, and God gave the Davidic covenant. At age 41, he subdued the Philistines. At 42, he subdued the Moabites. At 43, he subdued the Arameans. At 44, he subdued the Edom and set up Israel's government. At 45, he defeated Ammon and subdued the Arameans who came to help Ammon. How about his career at age 45? Very successful, Right? As a king, he was a workaholic. I mean, he, he conquers one nation at a time. He became the empire builder. And he ruled over all of the nations around him. He was very successful. He was a middle aged man. Well, at age 46, he sent Joab to conquer Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and then he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. At a time when kings go to war, that was spring, usually March, he did not go out. He said, well, I already defeated um, Amon once, and now we just have a little left to just conquer the city. So, Joab, my general, you go. You do it. You finish. I have arrived. I can relax now. So, he stayed home. He did not go out do his job as king and general. And uh, he stayed up late, and he got up when sun, the sun was setting. And he went up to relax on the roof, his rooftop of his palace, which is in a high place. And he saw through the windows, which at that time has no c- cover, <laughs> and of his servants' houses, which was around his palace. And he saw a woman bathing. The woman was Bathsheba. She was beautiful. He had lust. He reached for her. He slept with her. She became pregnant. Then he reached to the husband and was trying to cover it up. And Uriah is actually a Hittite. He's a foreigner. He's not a local Israelite. At the ancient uh, Middle East, pe- the kings usually have a praetorian. They have a bodyguard team. And they are usually foreigners. You know why? Because you don't want somebody to murder you and then become the king. Okay? And you should only use foreigners. They, if they murder you, they can't become the king. Because they're foreigners. So these foreigners, therefore, they have no root in the land. And all they depend on is the king. If you trust in them, they become your confidant and they will be very, very loyal. That was Uriah. He was very, very loyal to David, even foolishly loyal. David says, Oh, you're a good soldier. Come drink with me and then go home and, uh, you know, enjoy your wife. And he says, No, my. Fellow soldiers are fighting. I cannot enjoy. I have to sleep outside the door of the palace. So David now cannot cover up his sin. So he sent Uriah back with a letter to Joab saying, send him to the front and then withdraw and let him die. So this is what happens. When you sin and you don't confess and you try to cover it up, what do you have to do? To commit a bigger sin, right? Right? We just recently have a governor of Illinois who was charged of selling the seat of our current president. Well, what was he um, convicted of? He was convicted only of lying to the FBI, but not of the other charged things. See, it's the later sins, okay, that are bigger. So what should you do when you sin? Confess. And separate the leavened from the unleavened. Therefore, you do not let the leaven sin control and fill the whole life. Okay? And if you don't, it's going to fill it. And you have to commit bigger sins. If you tell a lie, you have to ten, t- tell ten more lies, bigger lies, to cover up the first one. And sometimes you don't remember which one I said to which person. And then someday, <laughs> it's going to be revealed. Okay? You always, someday, it's going to be revealed. So... What happened after this? At 47, Bathsheba, at, at for, the age of 47 of David, Bathsheba gave birth to a son. And the prophet Nathan pointed out David's sin. The son died. David wrote Psalm 51. Joab conquered Rabbah and gave David the glory. At 48, Bathsheba gave birth to Solomon. God named him Jedidiah, beloved of Yahweh. At 49, the daughter his, uh, Tamar was raped by his brother Ammon. half-brother. At 51, Absalom is the brother from the same mother, killed Ammon and fled. Three years later, Absalom returned. Two more years later, Absalom was accepted. And then four more years later, Absalom rebelled. And it was Joab who suppressed the rebellion. At age 41, David counted the numbers of Israel. That's another sin because it's depending on the strength of Israel, not on God. And Israel was judged with a plague. When the head sins, it was the underlings that suffer. When the father sins, it was children who suffered. When the king sins it was a nation suffer, or if the president sins it was a nation who suffer. And if Adam sins, it was humanity that suffered. Okay. So it's always like that. When the head sins, it's his underlings that suffer. Okay. Because that will hurt the head, heart of the head. Okay. And uh, then David bought. The Temple Mount. And in the later years. The last decade of his life. He prepared to build the temple. But he was not qualified. At age 70. He abdicated for Solomon. And died soon. That was the life of David. You can see. How sin came upon David. He was a good man. From a good family. He lived righteously. For the most of his life. Some actions since he became king. Were questionable. But not explicitly sins. Like mourning for Abner. I mean, Abner was not that good man, and he was, he was not uh, David's friend like Jonathan. But why did he mourn and put that in front of the people? It's really for political purpose, to get the heart of the people. And why did he take back Michael? He was married to Michael only two years, and she was married to another man for about 20 years. Did the other man love Michael? Yeah. The other man followed all the way to Jerusalem. You know, and uh, so... Why did he take back? For legitimacy, how did he earn the right to the throne of Israel? Because he was the son-in-law, okay. And so these things are not that righteous, though they're not explicitly that evil. Uh, it's still sin, nonetheless. I think he was a successful workaholic. He was at the peak of his career. And God even gave him a promise in the Davidic covenant that you will always have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel. Either your children who are righteous and generation by generation, they will sit on there. Or if they're not righteous, there will be a righteous seed who will sit on the throne forever. Now that's what happened. That's Jesus Christ, right? One seed of David who will sit on the throne forever. And uh, uh, he had a midlife crisis. So, in today's phrases, he had a, um, what is it, mishandled judgment, judgment error or something. Uh, And then everything since then turned sour. We had the Absalom saga. Big sins caught his attention of other sins. That's the background of Psalm 51. The confession brought mercy. God chose Solomon from Bathsheba. As his successor And the builder of the temple And David committed more sins Like the counting of numbers The census But he repented quickly He tried to redeem himself With religiosity But he was not qualified To build a temple He made his contributions By material preparations Wrote the psalm of worship And set up the 24 orders of priests And he passed the torch To a humble and and good successor Who was Solomon So That's what sin did to David. Now finally, we're coming to the preamble of Psalm 51. The preamble says, For the choir director A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. We know that in 2 Samuel 12, it recorded the uh, the debate or the battle between prophet Nathan and David. Nathan told a parable of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had everything. The poor man had only one lamb. The, poor, the rich man took away the lamb for dinner. And then David says, this man deserved to die. And he should pay back the lamb for four times because he had no mercy. And what did Nathan say? Echo homo, you, know, you are the man. You know? and, uh, and David is now saying in Psalm 40, 51, Yes, I am the man, the sinner. Psalm 51, uh, the first half reads like this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. The first verse, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. The word be gracious is uh, Hebrew, hanan, uh, Hanani, uh, be gracious to me. Have mercy or show favor to me. Mercy means not giving deserved punishment. If we are murderer, we deserve death penalty. Being forgiven and uh, pardoned is a mercy. Grace is giving undeserved favor. Even though we deserve hell, God not only forgave our sins, but also gave us eternal life and sonship in Christ. Those are undeserved favor. (coughs) Asking God to show his soft attributes... It's all a de- sinner can desire but doesn't deserve. Okay. God has hard attributes and soft attributes. The hard attributes are holiness, justice, uh, righteousness, wrathfulness for sin. Those things, we usually don't pray for us. We pray that God will show it on our opponents. A sinner... All we can do is to ask God to show only his soft attributes to us. (laughs) And this is a wild dream, actually, because we don't deserve it. But that's all we can desire. And the word loving kindness is the Hebrew word chesed. It means either faithfulness, loyalty, and obligation to a community, or kindness, love, favor, and grace. It's, It's a combination of both. When we ask God to show his soft attributes, we cannot do that based on our own goodness. Because we don't deserve it. But we can do that based on God's faithfulness. See, God made himself obligated to Israel by making a promise to Abraham. And within the promise to Abraham, there is a promise that all nations shall be blessed by one seed of Abraham. Who is Jesus Christ? And now God made himself obligated to the believers of Jesus Christ. Okay? If we still sin, if we are Christians, believers, we are saved, but we still sin. We cannot ask God to be soft on us, on our goodness, because we don't deserve it. But we can ask based on God's faithfulness, because we are covered by that promise but the, the Abrahamic covenant in which it derived the new covenant. We are covered. Okay. That's the basis of our prayer. According to the greatness of your compassions, blot out my transgressions. The word greatness is the Hebrew word rove, and it means uh, abundance and richness. Compassion is the Hebrew word raham. It means tender mercy and loving feeling. When we ask God to show his soft attributes, uh, we don't want just the essence. We want God to be gentle. Is God gentle in essence? Surely he is. But is that enough for us? No, we want the gentleness in abundance. We need a lot of softness, gentleness on us. Why? Because God has a hard side. He has a wrathful side to sin. And his hand is half raised. He's ready to put down. But because of his mercy, he can lay it. Okay. And when we ask him to blot out, that's the Hebrew word, uh, maha. It means to wipe out, erase, and strike. Uh, this uh, image is the ancient books, which it was written, uh, which were written on a uh, palimpset. Uh, that is a word for the uh, animal skins. Okay? You, you erase it, make it very uh, clear, and then you write uh, with an ink on it. When you don't want this anymore, you can use a certain solution and wipe it out. And then you can use the same palimpset to write other books. That's what he's asking. God, erase all your record of my sins. Where are records recorded? According to the Bible, they are recorded with iron pen in the rock. Are they erasable by humans? No. Okay. However, God can wipe it out. This is a wild dream for man, but it's a sovereign right for God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, remember he said, Wash me. Hypocrites usually to like uh, washing my clothing as long as it looks good to others. But confessors, we want to wash me, the inner being, the to- total whole person, not just the outside. Okay, My iniquities is the Hebrew word meoni. Uh, Mion uh, means guilt, uh, that deserved punishment. This is another word uh, for, um, for sin. Uh, and finally, he used uh, an, the ultimate word for sin, which is taha. Uh, it, it means missing the mark. Okay. He has uh, used three words for sin, uh, which is, uh, let me say, what is it? Uh, Pesach, which transgression is crossing the line okay, of approved actions. Then he goes deeper uh, iniquity, myong, that means uh, the, the guilt deserving punishment. And finally, it's taha, the sin, it's missing the mark. Uh, we are created in God's image. We were originally glorious, and uh, we are supposed to be uh, righteous and glorious, and uh, in the same um, Level of righteousness with God. But once we sin. We miss the mark. Okay, And so everything we do. Think or do. Are falling short of God's glory. That's the sinful and pitiful state of mankind. And David said. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He said. I know. Because we actually all know it. When we sin, we all know it. Because God gave us, gave us a conscience. And it keeps pecking us. When we sin, it will peck us. It will remind us. You might feel when you're doing wrong, thing, wrong things, your heart kind of hurts a little bit. You know, twitches a little bit. And if you mind that, you turn around, and then these feeling will still be there. And if you keep suppressing the feeling, later you will become numb. And you won't feel it. And you will do greater and greater sins until you get caught and suffer greatly. That's when you're reminded. And the issue is not knowing not knowing it. The issue is admitting it. Ever before me, they were always there, the sins. But it takes a big sin and being caught to remind us the reality of all the other sins. And honestly admitting all of them. I mean, I speed pretty often. But it, it takes being caught and paying for a ticket. I just recently paid for one because it's within one year of my driver's lesson, you know. Uh, It takes being caught to remind me that God set up the government and violating the laws from this human government is actually disregarding the authority of God. I knew it theoretically, but I often just ignore it until I get caught. And it hurts to pay $175. <sighs> okay. And, <laughs> you know, salvation goes from top down, goes from soul and head and mind and heart, and it goes the right one, last one it reaches the right foot. <laughs> I'm still working on it. And I, I think many of you are still doing it too. Okay. <laughs> okay. It takes a big sin, usually, to remind us of the little ones. Because we're trying to ignore them. Against you, you only have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, actually, David sinned against humans. He sinned against Bathsheba. He robbed her purity. And he sinned against Uriah. He robbed his life. However, because righteousness and sin are defined by God's character... And when we sin against other human beings who are made in God's image, ultimately, we are sinning against God. And when David, who is the anointed of God, his sin humiliated the name of God. And therefore, he said, I sinned against you only. It just means, especially against you. It's an overstatement on that. And, but it carries a meaning. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. The guilty do not have a right to deny the guilt to God, because it's useless. He knows it, and he will judge it. David is honest in admitting that God is just in the punishment. But the law of God, by the law of God, adultery and murder both deserve the death penalty. And David himself sentenced the guilty like himself to death. She just said that to Nathan. And there is no redemption in the law for the sins with high hands. That means you know it's wrong, and you, it's very bad, and you still did it. There's no redemption for that. So, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David was, David was not trying to badmouth his mother. Actually, he was from a good family and a good mother. And he lived mostly a better life than others. I mean, I thought like that before I was a Christian. I mean I'm not perfect, but I'm better than others. I can admit I'm a sinner, but I don't feel I'm a sinner. Well, there are worse ones than me. You know, look at him. And but David realized that he is actually not better than others. Because all humanity are by nature sinners from birth. We carry a gene of sin from our parents. And there is a gene somewhere. I don't know how it is. Is a single gene or is in the whole. Okay. And as long as we have this body we can't escape it. All we have is a deep division from the holy God. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. There's a transition here. First of all, God requires the purity and honesty in the inner being. Our external righteousness does not justify us before God. It's the inner thought and the motives that matters to God. Okay? And however, God, who is the greatest creator of all, he can also penetrate the stubbornest sinners and give wisdom to the foolish. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. By faith, David now hoped the covering of the blood of the innocent Lamb of God. Hyssop is something that Israelites used to dip in the blood and paint the blood on their doors, left, right, and up in the lentil. What does that look like? It's the cross. Okay. And uh, ultimately, it was the Lamb of God who carries away the sins of the, uh, the world. That's Jesus Christ. That His blood will cover our sins. David understands that in the sacrificial laws of Israel, there is an anti-type waiting to come. These lambs that they sacrifice are nothing but types. They are waiting for the realization Who is Jesus Christ. And David had faith. He looked forward to the Lamb of God to come in the future. And by that faith, he was justified. Today, we look backwards. We know the Lamb has come. And we know his name. And by the same faith, we are redeemed. And by faith, David hoped on the transformation by the forgiveness of sins. Watch me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Remember, he said whiter than snow. Not as white as snow. You know why? Because you know what Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, got after he um, committed sin and he got leprosy? He was as white as snow. You see? <laughs> leprosy occurs, can be as white as snow. So this is nothing about external, this is about internal. Being as white as snow has no use. You have to be whiter than snow. And that can only be done by God through His Spirit in the inner side of man. Okay. And make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Forgiveness brings joy in the deepest level. And usually it is the broken bones that sing the loudest of praise. The best preachers of grace are usually the recovered sinners. The best evangelists are usually people who have fallen greatly before and have been saved and turned back. Why? Because they are sympathetic okay, to the sinners. The people who are relatively righteous, they usually look, look down upon other sinners. They're suffering. That's because they're foolishness. I'm not foolish. okay. That's why I don't suffer. And so... Yeah, I mean, being righteous is a blessing, but that is not how we earn the relationship with God. Okay? So the best evangelists and the best preachers of grace are the recovered sinners. The broken bones are the loudest in the choir in heaven. And hide your face from my sins. And blot out all your iniquities. If God does not hide his face from our sins. He will have to hide our names from the book of life. Because God is holy. And he cannot tolerate sin. It is the right of the sovereign to forgive. But he has to be just. That is his nature. So how can he balance justice and mercy? We can see the need for a lamb of God who is both God, thus sinless, and man, thus able to die. And his death can carry the sins of the guilty. And by faith in him, we can be covered and redeemed and cleansed and destined for a household of God in heaven. That is the gospel in Psalm 51. Okay, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We come to you, we thank you for giving us this great psalm, this deeply lamenting psalm that we are sinners and we can't escape from sin unless we are free from this body. However, you gave us hope that by the blood of the Lamb to come, that has already come, we can be cleansed and covered. We pray that through the life of David we can learn and we can believe and by the same faith we can be redeemed and we shall praise you and praise like him and even greater and louder than him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please visit us at dayministry.com or abilenebible.org for more teachings in audio or visual forms as well as other study materials. Don't forget to check us at youtube.com slash Bible Church for our TV series. God bless you. In where his feet pass Mine is the sunlight Mine is the Recreation.